This podcast is sponsored by Legends of the Buckle Era. Don't forget to get your tickets for the 9th of April. Tickets are £10 and can be found on Eventbrite. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Talking Talkie podcast. I'm Ben Curry, and tonight I am delighted to be joined by Sam Jurif. Good evening. And we've also got international uh, flavour. We've got Chris Ballard here. Good evening. Uh, how are we, gents? Fantastic. Pretty, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. We've uh, won another game. Who'd have thought? That's two in a row now. We've got Sutton in our sights. So let's see what happens. Uh, we're talking on Tuesday evening, and all three of us uh, watched uh, the game yesterday against Wrexham, and Sam is going to start us off. So over to you, Drew. Yeah, so interesting game, wasn't it? I'm not sure what we all expected going into it, because obviously we'd beaten Woking, um, albeit with not a fully convincing performance. Um, Wrexham are obviously kind of the one of the teams of topic in the world of non-league football at the moment, what with the celebrity takeover they've had. Um, but, you know, on closer inspection, they've, they've obviously not been on a great run of results themselves and they've got, they've got their injury problems as well. So, you know, on paper, it seemed like a pretty much evenly matched up game. Um, and really, I think that's how the game went, to be honest. First 10, 15 minutes, I thought Torquay were absolutely outstanding. You know, some of the football they're playing with uh, some actual purpose was reminiscent of, you know, the first half of the season that we were playing. Um, I think it helps that we've got a bit more of a settled starting eleven. Is it 100% the first choice? No. But I think the fact that they're a little bit more established in playing together after a few weeks, that certainly helps. Um, and obviously Danny Wright was started, first time he started this year. Um and you could just see the difference that he made, you know, from the outset. It was, it was, it was, you know, much, much the same as when he came on, on Good Friday. Um, I felt like we should have capitalised, capitalised when we were on top because, you know, as is often the case, Wrexham kind of grew into the game as well. They probably had the best chance of the half with, uh, well, the two best chances with a free kick that hit the bar, and then Jamie record missed really a guilt edge chance i know i know the co-com said the bounce wasn't very kind but i don't care where it bounced in that position if you're not hitting the target then you know you've gone wrong um but yeah on the whole i thought it was a really even game a, a draw would have been fair for both sides um you could nitpick at certain bits but defensively we look solid you know that that's another clean sheet you know bar dagenham that's what four clean sheets in five, um, and that's without Dean Moxie starting. Okay, Ryan Law's really grown into that role, and I've, I've become very impressed with him. But that's without Dean Moxie and Kyle Cameron, who arguably are probably first choice players. Um, and obviously, at the death, Sam Sherring gets the winner from a corner. Um, again, reminiscent of the well early days of the season, really, when we weren't outplaying teams we were just nicking results which in turn gives you a bit gives the players that bit of confidence to go on and you know build on that so 
did we deserve it? Probably not. Do we take it? Absolutely. I, I was I was just gonna say it was it was one of those games ahead of time. I thought it was a nailed on nil nil. You know, we haven't been scoring very many. We haven't been conceding very many. Wrexham haven't been scoring a lot. They lost, you know, their other striker in the in the game they played on Friday. Um, but it was it was such a relief to get that last minute goal. Um, reminiscent of Winter's goal at Woking, actually a year ago today. Incidentally, same sort of, you know, same sort of uh, build up, if you can call it a build up. You know, bouncing around in the box and then you have a hefty defender lashing at home, which there's really nothing better in football than the last minute winner, is there? No. And we've been yeah. spoiled for those this season, as Joyce already said. Um, the game had a couple of casualties for us. Uh, early in the first half, uh, Benji Kimpioka uh, came off with what looked like a hamstring. Uh, the, the other hamstring to one which saw him miss five months of the season for Sunderland. Um, and I think that's going to be a big blow uh, for the coming weeks. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like the look of him. He... Uh... I think technically he, he's still, you know, probably a little bit off it, um, whether that's match sharpness or inexperience. But he just added that degree of pace that without Nemain and we, without Whitfield, we just don't have. You know, we haven't really got any quick players. Um, so I think that's a shame because it looked like they were going to kind of build the team around him and Danny Wright starting up front for the for the running or for the uh, certainly for the foreseeable. Um, and you have to assume that with, you know, his his previous, you know, the last five months, you have to assume that that's probably his season over. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I think he'd really impressed all of us in his first appearance when he came on as a sub. I think he's had two starts now and he's been good. Um, and he does add something different to the other guys that we have, you know, Billy Waters and... Um, Scott Bowden haven't been knocking them in. Um, Kimpioka hasn't scored yet, obviously. Should have scored the other day against Dagenham. Thank you, Josh. Um, but it, it's one of those things where you just kind of, as soon as a guy goes down now, you think, oh, great, another one. Uh, you know, you, you're kind of conditioned to believe that the guy's out for months. Yeah, I think that was a feeling I had. And he looked pretty gutted about it as well. And it throws up a few questions to how we line up uh, going forward, because you got the feeling that we were going to go with Kimpioka and Wright for the foreseeable future, and with the without Nemain and Whitfield for the following few games, I'm not sure how we're going to set up in order best to provide Danny Wright or any strikers with the chances to score. Because uh, Waters came on uh, for Kimpioka, and I think we can all agree it was a pretty frustrating afternoon uh, watching him fall over and, and give the ball away. Yeah, no, I mean, go to your first point of how do we line up? I think the natural replacement at the moment is probably if both fit to start Wright and Bowden because, you know, Wright is clearly the best striker at the club, you know, and, and if I'd go as far as say if we don't go up, I'm not sure how long he's got on his deal, but if we don't go up, he, he has to be signed. You know, I've no doubt that he does a job again next season. Um, Bowden still question marks over him but he has scored a couple he does get, he gets in the right positions he makes, makes the right runs 
and I think him and Wright playing up front together could could pay dividends really. Um, so for me, that's that's how you've got to go forward. Unless you know, obviously Connor Evans went down injured. Uh, we don't know how serious that is. It looked like an impact in injury, not a muscular injury. So I'd imagine it was just one of those. It's probably a little bit sore. Um, if he's back, I wonder if you just say right, you know, let's play. You know, you keep Adam Randell on the right because he's doing a good job. If you play Little and Acer in the middle and then Evans just behind right because hey, for half a season, that that was a fantastic combination. And bringing Andrews on the left. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I, as, as much as I like Armani Little and I do think that on his day, he's the best player in at, at this level. And we've seen, you know, how often that day is. That's up for debate, but we have seen that on his day he is unplayable. Um, I do think that Jake will probably feel a bit robbed that he's not starting on the left wing because without Whitfield, he is by far the best left-sided player we've got, and he's also got the best. I'd say he's probably got the most consistent delivery. Dead balls, I'd still say it's between him and Armani, but you know, from the left, if you've got Danny Wright or a Scott Bowden in the box. If you've got someone like uh, Jake Andrews, sorry, putting, you know, pinpoint crosses in for them a, a few times a game, you, you're going to get goals from that, especially with Danny Wright in, in the middle. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think, as you say, Andrews could probably feel unfortunate to have been left out of the starting line at the last couple of games. Uh, I think having him come in does provide better balance. Um, I think our money little is improving. I still don't think he's at the level we would like him to be at. He had a couple of free kicks on uh, on Monday, and you thought, here we go. And the first one went wide, and the second one went into orbit, I think. And that's frustrating, because at this level, I think you have to put efforts on target, um, especially when we haven't been scoring that many. But that being said, I, I thought his link-up play was better yesterday. I, I thought he looked stronger. Um Obviously, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know anything about how guys look. But it, it looked like he was running a lot more uh, and a lot more comfortable. I think when you have an injury like his, and actually like Danny Wright, it can take you a while to have the confidence to really Well, that's move. the thing, isn't it? It's yeah. the psychological side a lot of the time. He yeah. looks like he's much more comfortable being out there the longer he plays. And that's why you've got to persist with him. Because if you get, if you, sorry, if you can get Armani Little to a point where he's confident to you know, carry the ball, like you say, make those link-up plays, which I think he did brilliantly on yesterday. Um, you know, a lot of people have given him a lot of lot of slander recently. I think he he was good yesterday. Mm-hmm. But the longer you give him to kind of grow back into the team, it's going to pay dividends because he is a confidence player and he's also, like you say, finding confidence in being out on the pitch. You know, I, I do think if you get 10, 15, 20 games of Armani at his best, You've you've got a good shot in this league. Probably worth ten, twelve points, just just for exactly that. that. Exactly that. Yeah. So good win. We all agreed with that, um, and we'll take that all day long. But the fact remains that the goal we scored in the ninety fourth minute was our first shot on target. So is that something which concerns either of you, or was it just a close game between two decent teams, and that was just uh, what happened to separate uh, the two teams on the day? I, I think it's it's not concerning in the context of that game because it was a game of very few chances, but it is a pattern that we've seen in other games that we're not getting the shots on target. So I think it's it's more concerning as a pattern 
not specifically related to Wrexham only. Um, I've been saying that we should shoot, and then I realised I should clarify it by saying we should shoot on target occasionally. Um, and we know that at this level of football, you're going to have goalkeepers make mistakes. You're going to have the ball come back to you, and that's where someone like Waters, if he can stay on side, would be a good candidate to mop up a few things. Um, I would love us to get to a game where we suddenly drop four or five on a on a on a team just to prove that we can. But that being said, if you win every game one nil, you're going to be a very successful football team. <laughs> um, and you know, we for a while, you know, after the Maidenhead defeat, we were looking at the defence saying, "What what the hell's happened?" But we haven't conceded. We've conceded once against Dagenham since. I don't think that's a a bad base from from which to build for the rest of the season, especially with teams around us dropping points. Um, you know, if we can, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, but, you know, we could conceivably be, be above Sutton this time next week. Well, this time next week, plus three hours. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I was going to say, I don't think it really worries me because, well, if we hadn't have won that game, I'd be a little bit worried because, like you said, it, it is a bit of a growing trend. Um Albeit yesterday was it was two good teams playing against each other. It felt like you know, Wrexham were good on the day. We were good on the day. Either team would have felt disappointed with the loss, but I, I think because we got the win, it doesn't concern me too much that we didn't um, that that we didn't get all those shots on target because you just know that with this team and this manager, they that will give them the biggest confidence boost. You, you know, you can imagine the dressing room was probably buzzing the coach journey was probably buzzing do people remember how you win games when you get promoted no you just remember getting promoted so don't matter how they won just their one so no it doesn't concern me danny Wright's on his way back to fitness a couple of the other players aren't too far off yeah I'm, i think i think it's fine yeah i'd agree with that i think there's enough games in the season for for players to work way back into form and all it needs is that one game where you just hit four or five and then suddenly uh you know you're, you're back on, on the way again um as we've alluded to slightly uh six points out of six over the weekend and sutton who were top of course two points out of six so we've gained four points from them now sutton aren't playing on saturday because they would have been playing dover who are wankers who have left the league um, so, assuming we win on Saturday, we go to Sutton a week today, and we could be three points behind them. And psychologically, it now starts feeling massive. Absolutely. I mean, you look at. I think people were really blinded by the Dagenham game. I'm not saying we played well, but I think people really overreacted, considering we've we've won four out of five. You know, which is our best run of games since, well, since the turn of the year. Now, like you say, if we can beat Weymouth, who are no mugs, they they've pulled off some good results this season. Um, I'm not I'm not kind of counting that as a win. Um, I'd like to think we we will, but this is talk United. Um, but if we can go to Sutton, three points behind them, all of a sudden that big gap that they got of ten points, blah blah blah, they'll have another game in hand than us, but. I'd rather have the psychology of Gary Johnson as the manager than anyone else. He's been there and done it so many times. How many of the Sutton players have been in a title race? You know, we were in a, a vaguely similar position with Woking a couple of years ago, and a lot of those players are still the same. You know, you look at our lineup, we've got 
even what five or six players who were in that squad and know kind of what it takes to you know hold your nerve if you like so yeah huge huge couple of games I think the next couple of games will define our season yeah I again I I agree I, I think you know you kind of don't want to take your eye off the Weymouth game I think as fans we like looking at Sutton thinking oh well if we can beat them we can be ahead of them well if we lose to Weymouth we won't be ahead of them no matter the result um so you have to do a professional job hopefully one of those 2-0 victories where not very much happens except you score twice um I think Sutton will be looking at our game with them on Tuesday thinking if we can get a draw that's a good result um similar you know similar to when they visited us at Playmore not that long ago now you know we thought nil nil against them and Notts County were good results at the time and they were it's just unfortunate that we've since not had a great run of results until fairly recently so um yeah I, I would hope that we psychologically would be very much up for it um for both of these games and if we can just get a result on Weymouth then we can start getting aboard the uh, the hype train again no, absolutely. So, big week coming up, and we'll look forward to that as it comes. Uh, so, I think that's Wrexham uh, taken care of, and we're going to change pace ever so slightly and do another little segment of my favourite player. I think, Chris, you've got someone you want to talk about. Yeah, I've had this ready for years. Like, and I, I, it's funny because for those of you who, you know, the listeners who don't know the individuals, I'm probably the old man of the group at a at a grand old age of forty. One, that's not a good sign. I can't remember how old I am. Um, but my, the player I want to talk about is um, Kevin Hill. Um, the, you know, record appearance maker. Um, he scored 52 goals, I think, in his his time at Torquay. He was there at the bottom, at the top, everywhere in between. Signed by Kevin Hodges um, from Tor- Torridge, Torrington, I think, in about 98. And he didn't leave the club. For, you know, for 10 years plus. He had a, um, a testimonial as well. And the thing I like about Kevin Hill is that he's one of those players that you can't imagine ever playing for anybody else. Even though he played for other clubs. In some ways, it's a little bit like, I want to say like uh, Gerard at Liverpool. Like he played all those years for Liverpool. He also played for LA Galaxy, but you still find it very difficult to imagine that. Although having watched him play for Galaxy, it was pretty difficult for Gerard to imagine that too. Um. And it, it, it's, it seems like a, a bit of a throwback from a bygone era for me, because when you look at Kevin Hill, he never looked like a footballer. He wasn't particularly tall. He, wasn't, he didn't look particularly strong. He wasn't particularly fast. He wasn't particularly skillful, but he was one of those players you want him in your team every week. Um, he's here, he's there, he's, he's everywhere, was the chant that would go up whenever he would play. Um, one of the uh, attributes he did have that no one else in any of the divisions we played in that time had, he had a prodigious leap. It was like a salmon. Uh, and often, I, under Leroy Rutinio, we would have a tactic of having the goalkeeper, Kevin Dearden, usually, of putting it out towards the left-hand side. And the, and Hill would absolutely murder the right back <laughs> and just leap above him and head it in towards the middle where hopefully Graham or Kufour were waiting. And I'm, I know we scored several goals that way um he also was kind of crafty um if you get a chance to look on youtube google him or google him on youtube that's not brilliant but anyway take a look at him he scored possibly the cheekiest goal i've ever seen um it was against stockport county i believe it was new year's day 2005 
I was trying to remember. It's actually a game I wasn't at because I worked on New Year's Day back then as a bookie. Um, but essentially, the uh, the goalkeeper's taken the ball from a corner uh, from across. He's waved everyone forward. He's dropped the ball on the ground, and Kevin Hill has stood behind him. Not only has he stood behind him, he's crouched like he's tiptoeing, like a little ninja. As soon as the ball gets dropped, he runs around the other side, grabs the ball, does a little coif turn, and rolls it gently into the net and it was it was incredible typically we still lost the game um i think that was an injury time in the first half and stockport scored twice second half ricky lambert scored twice uh including an 89th minute penalty um so that was fun um but you know i I think it's funny when we started doing this segment i was i almost didn't want to pick kevin hill because it seemed a little bit easy because he is the club's longest serving player but you don't get to have 420 odd appearances i think 417 without the cups um without being a stalwart of you know and he went through i think it's seven or eight managers um he was at barnet in 2001 he scored the second goal in that 3-2 victory that kept us up um he played at wembley in the Ebbsfleet game we won't talk about that um but it and he came down with us into the conference under uh oh god i think it's paul buckle now keith curl it's keith thank you i yeah and it's it's one of those things where when i left talkie like no most of you who don't know i left in 2006 he was still going strong and when he left it felt like a member of my family had died one that you know a distant member one that i only <laughs> saw on christmas maybe um but it was it was quite sad because it was almost like i couldn't imagine him playing in any other color but yellow um and on personal note like he used to come into this i used to run a, a betting shop in playmore um and he used to come in and bet on himself to score the first goal uh until i was assistant manager at the time I, and my manager said oh hilly we're gonna have to report you to the fa for gambling and he went pale and we never saw him again <laughs> he stopped coming in and i saw him play golf a couple of times at team valley um but he was always very approachable, like most of the team at that, you know, at our level. You don't often get prima donnas, but um, he was very approachable. He was, I think, he knew the fortunate position he was in to be a footballer, which I know a lot of players don't always fully appreciate. Um, and I was, I was sad to see him leave the club, even though I knew, you know, he'd been there a very long time. He was getting older he was not able to keep up as much as he used to but he'll always be my uh my favorite talkie talkie play even though he by any stretch he wasn't the most skillful um he also had this is a slight aside but he also had the most unique walk i don't know if anybody saw kevin hill walk he, he's one of those guys who walked very much on his toes it's almost like he's wearing stiletto heels without actually having them on um maybe that's where you know maybe his Achilles were all springs like Zebedee, which is how he could jump so high. Um, but yeah, I just I have very fond memories of that time. And it was, you know, I think most of our favorite players tend to be defined by the era in which we have the fondest memories. Uh, for me, that was the Lee Wilber senior years. Uh, even the relegation year from League One was a great time for me. And Kevin Hill was very much a part of that. Um, he was playing in the midfield generally with Russell and Fowler, although Fowler would get hurt fairly regularly because of his hip so you know he was never going to be the most skillful player in that midfield but it worked and i think it's a classic example of 
round pegs in round holes. He worked very well for us. And uh, it was apparent to everybody how much he was loved by the fans and the players. It's a great choice. Um, Kevin Hill's first season as a goal was also my first season as a goal. So um, all the way through his career, I've, I've, I feel like I've been there through all of his milestones. You know, I was, I saw him against Scarborough and went, then at Wembley and obviously Barnet, then Southend, um, and then Wembley. You know, he was there for, for all those. And as you said, he, he survived under seven or eight different managers and you don't get to do that unless you're a good player. And it's interesting you say he wasn't the most skillful because I've just been watching back on YouTube um, highlights from 2003, 2004. Um, it's a history on YouTube. It's absolutely brilliant. It highlights all the matches. And some of the goals he scored, he scored this brilliant bicycle kick. Unbelievable technique it was. And um, the game later, he just smacked it into the top corner. So he had moments of outrageous brilliance. But... What you say is absolutely true. He is remembered for the graft, the hard work, that, that spring where he used to sit on the wall in front of the pop side um, for a long throw-in and then just sprint into the penalty box and try and get at the end of it and he'd be two foot higher than, than the rest of the defence. Um, I think that's probably what I remember most about him. Although, actually, the thing I remember most about him was uh, the first, his goal in the second leg against Exeter in the playoffs. He started that game and it was one of only about 10 games he started that season. And uh, my dad was had his leg in plaster, so we had to sit in the family stand for that game. But we were front row and you could see the ball coming across and you just knew if he could connect with it properly, he was going to score. And he absolutely lashed it into his side netting. And we went 3-1 up in the tie and we thought we were off to Wembley and we won't speak about what happened in the second half. But Nothing I think, happened in the second half. No, it didn't, no <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember. Um, I must admit yeah, that... I, sorry to butt in, but uh, that's the goal that stands out for me with Kevin Hill. And I, there are two things I remember vividly from that. Tim Seals busting a gut, so I say, to, to get the ball in. And when the ball hit the back of the net, he just fell to his knees as if to say, we've done it, we're going to the final. But I've been going to Torquay for 15, 16, 17 odd years. That's the loudest I've ever heard a goal being cheered. It was... One of those goals that don't place it, don't take a touch, just fucking whack it. And it was, like you say, it's all these years on, as hurtful as that game was and as how sick I felt at the end, that is the lasting memory I've got of it was was that goal. It was, I just feel like that summed up Kevin Hill. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would, yeah, I would agree. It, it's one of those things where, you know, and I remember him scoring other goals against, you know, I think I scored against Huddersfield in the, um, the season we went up. Uh, and I was talking to a Huddersfield fan not long afterwards and he couldn't understand how he could always get the ball. He said he jumps higher than anybody I've seen, but he must have a head shape like a sixpence because sometimes the ball went off at all kinds of angles, which was a funny line, but when he scored, it kind of made him shut up a little bit. Um Sorry, Ben. Uh, as I say, um, you know, we're talking about the ultimate season for both of us. It's probably the Leroy promotion season. And, you know, we talk about Graham, Russell, Fowler. But, you know, Kevin Hill more than played, played his part in that season. As did Matt Hockley, two local lads. And I think at Torquay, there's always that extra bit of uh, excitement about the local lads. Um, 
you, you see it now. There's a buzz around Kazela, even though he probably isn't right or, or, or quite ready to, to play in the first team. There's still a lot of buzz on social media about about getting in there because he's a local lad. But with Hilly, he just always felt like one of our own, I think. And he always felt like part of Talk United, as you say, part of the furniture. And I think if you ask a lot of people from that era, um, he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet of their best 11s to play for the club. He certainly is in mine. Um, only got fond memories. And I just think he's the ultimate club man. He is, yeah. And it, it's funny, like you say, there's always a little bit of a affiliation with anyone who's a local lad. And Hockley's another great example. Um, he, he's someone that doesn't get nearly enough plaudits as he should as a tall key player. But one thing that, you know, I think stands out for a lot of people, which is probably the same reason that I went for Mance, probably, you know, obviously one of the reasons you've gone for Kevin Hill and reasons why you could pick a lot of players along those lines is what they may have lacked lacked in kind of natural ability or talent you knew that when they left the pitch, they they'd leave everything out there. That mm-hmm. they cover every blade of grass twice, and they would give every that you know play that as if it was your last game of football, as if that's your swan song. And for me, that's what makes a footballer. You get you get a maverick every now and again who turns up, who you know might look great on the ball, you'll have them for a year, a couple of years, they'll they'll make a big impact with their kind of talent. But you know that they're not going to run a, through a brick wall for the team. Players like Damn Kevin Graham. Hill would do that. <laughs> yeah, But Kevin Hill would do that. And, you know, I started going in League One. Um, so, well, I got about four or five, well, about five years of Kevin Hill. Yeah. And even like after that time, the club had changed like drastically that that squad had changed from league one to the conference and he was the only player kind of left when he left he was the only player that was there when I started going so I felt a bit the same kind of like well you know it's not going to be right seeing someone else have the number 11 and you know I'm not a big fan of retiring shirt numbers but Mm. if Torquay were to ever do it it should be him and I'm surprised they haven't done anything more like name a stand after him because how often, like you said, Chris, do you, do you find a one-club man in football anymore? Especially, you know, especially at, at this level where players are so, you know, expendable and it, we see players move on frequently. To be an actual one-club man and a local lad, you're not going to see that again at Torquay. No. no and, and I think the romantics in us, we hope to, but we won't. And you no, know, I think Ben was saying before, like having a local player in the squad is always something great. Matt Hockley is a great example, even though he once gave me a nosebleed. Um, he uh, booted the ball out in typical Hockley style, right into the hooter, and I had to go to the uh, the medical centre, such as it is at Playmore in the corner there. And of course, I missed the goal. So anyway, <laughs> that, that's an aside. I, I you know I know that we've had plenty of young local players in the past you know like Louis Slough we have now and Olaf Casella and even going back someone like um David Bing what was, was that his name Bing yeah. he was his, yeah uh, I think Jimmy Benefield was was local um I knew a guy called Lucas Burgess who was on uh on on the books I think he ever played and you kind of I think you give them more of a pass than you would ordinarily um but Kevin Hill came in and he was 
excellent pretty much from the beginning. I remember when he signed, I was like, really, Tarrington? Like, how good, how good can he be? He'd had a two-week trial, I think, and that's when we took him on. Um, I believe he was working in a supermarket at the time. So literally plucked from the shelves to join <laughs> professional football. And let's face it, he's probably not made enough to retire playing for Torquay United, but I think he'll be thought of with very strong fondness by those two or three thousand unfortunate souls who have been cursed to follow this team for the next 50 years. I've got... Well, I can tell... Sorry. Sorry, sorry Jeff. Um, just going to say, you, you can follow Kevin Hill if you're a fan of Exmouth Town FC because he is their player manager. So, as you say, didn't make any money out of being a talking United player and he's still got a career in football. I was going to say, one kind of last little anecdote from me on Kevin Hill. A couple, uh, Well, I've got two that are kind of my favourite non-footballing moments. So... A couple of years ago, I helped the Supporters Trust do a Legends event. Topical. Um, <laughs> I seem to get roped into these things. Um, and it was kind of no specific era. It was just kind of whoever we could get hold of. And, and Hilly was one of them. And obviously, you do the standard. Look, if you've got anything we could give out as prizes for the raffle, fantastic. Um, now, for his testimonial, uh, the famous Paul Bastard, who at the time was head of wine at co-op i'm not sure exactly where his job title was but kind of chose all the wines that the co-op sold um he got a really nice range for kevin hill and called them hilly's leap <laughs> so kevin hill turned up he said oh these some of the last bottles i've got bottle of red bottle of white hilly's leap on the front you know a decent bottle of wine you know with a a made label for him Hilly's Leap on his testimonial so I thought that was a really you know to, to, to give something like that away for a raffle was you know in my eyes a, a real touch of class um and I think as everyone's dreams have a wine named after them anyway um the other one I remember the day we got promoted under Buckle at Wembley um with all those legends hmm. um me so my dad drove me um one of my mates and my brother up um we stopped at services on the way back on the m4 and fairly quiet obviously on the services up bumps into the, all the talkie fans the services down fairly quiet um queuing up to get some fast food and kevin hill was next to us and he spotted my dad in a talkie shirt and he said oh bet you bet you bet you're feeling good about that and that dad said well yeah great day hilly was doing the co-coms on radio devon and he just stood talking to my dad about the game and about how much he kind of loved his time at Torquay. He didn't have to do that, but it, it was one of those things. It'll always kind of, it'll always stick with me that, you know, to that touch class and you could tell he just loved the football club. Any chance to kind of have a chat with a fan about it? And he would. Well, you don't appear for a club for uh, 400 appearances plus unless, you know, you're a very good player which he was and he's an absolute legend so what well on hilly uh so moving on to saturday we have got weymouth at at plainmore uh, i've done a bit of uh research on weymouth they are 20th out of 22 teams in the national league they've played 31 they've won eight drawn six and lost 17 Scored 35 and exceeded 47. They have 30 points. Last five results, they lost to Halifax. They beat Maidenhead, lost to Chesterfield, beat Wildstone, 
and Drew with Dagenham and Redbridge. So it's a real mixed bag. Their top scorer has seven goals, and that's some bloke called Dallas. And Drew's mate, Josh McCoy, has six goals. And also in their squad, we've got Cody Cook and Josh Wakefield, who we might remember from previous seasons. Yeah, uh, interesting club. A few names you mentioned there. Uh, Cody Cook was one of those. He was in uh, he was in the Truro squad when they had a good season a few years ago. Uh, we were linked with him, but he went up to play uh, in the glamorous league of the Scottish Premiership or Scottish Championship, whichever one it was. Didn't work out. He's back playing uh, playing for Weymouth. Um, Josh Wakefield, obviously we had him on name from Bournemouth. Good player. I'm surprised he didn't kind of push on really. Um, uh, and and yeah, the other one you mentioned, Josh McCoy. I'm not exaggerating. He's my least favourite ever Torquay player. If you did a starting eleven of players, I I genuinely have a, a strong passionate dislike for. <laughs> he wears the captain's armband. I genuinely hate that bloke. I've never seen a player come into a club who is so desperate for a bit of quality and a bit of uh, bit of help and do fuck all. He, we had him on loan from Luton, I think, who at the time were League One or League Two. He's at that time spent most of his career as a League One and briefly a Championship player. He's a Northern Ireland international and he did nothing. He put no effort in. He looked out of his depth. And I hope he struggles for the rest of his career. I, I really don't like him. So I can't wait to watch him score on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it, it's funny because I think they got promoted from uh, Conference South last year, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess they were probably one of the teams that were quite grateful to not have relegation. Although with Barnett being abject this season they probably would have been okay i don't know much about weymouth i don't even know i think it's in dorset right on the south yep. coast um I, again these are one of the one of the teams that kind of came along into Torquay's realm after i left the country so i haven't always retained a lot of information about them um i just want us to get a, get a result i don't care how it goes in i don't care if sam sharing scores with his left testicle in the 97th minute that would be totally fine with me um, we said earlier that we need to win this game before we can really think about Sutton, so that still holds true, you know, 45 minutes later. Um, so, so yeah, really all I have to say. But I do like uh, Sam going on about a player he doesn't like. And we've had a bit of a loving for Kevin Hill. I think we could do easily do a segment on players that we don't like. Absolute wankers. Yeah, we yeah, should do we, that. We could, honestly, fuck him. Um, <laughs> Weymouth are an odd one. They, they, they've actually just got back-to-back promotions. Um, and they they've been out of this division since we left it under buckle. Um, they had a kind of fluke for few years where they did really well um, and kind of overspent, went back to the kind of dog and duck part time league. And they're back. Obviously, their location probably favours them quite well when they get to the sort of south and national league levels because they're they're, they're a stone throw from Bournemouth. So they get a lot of their either cast-offs or kind of loan players. So, you know, like you say, Josh Wakefield's there. I'm not sure if he's still there, but I think Josh Carmichael's there for a bit last season, especially. Um, I can't remember if he's still there, but, you know, another player that we had on loan from Bournemouth a few years ago. Um, and, yeah, like, like I said earlier, they're, they're no mugs. They've 
beaten good teams this year or got a few results against good sides, they're not one that I'd take lightly. And I think the club need, you know, I'd be wary of them. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, to the the neutral observer, this looks like the perfect fixture for us uh, leading up to Sutton. But we've seen it so many times over the years, Uh, even in the National League South. uh, We lost to Western Supermare at home, which really made us buck our ideas up because after that, we went on a good run, which really got us over the line for promotion. But sometimes it's these sort of games where you do take your eye off the ball or they have their day in the sun and uh, got the extra gear because it is a sort of a local derby. I think it's only 80 miles around the coast. Um, but also, they've got nothing to play for. They're just one of those teams who are just going for emotions towards the end of the season. We saw it with Woking, who didn't really look bothered one way or the other on, on Good Friday. So it depends what sort of mind frame they approach a game in as well, I suppose. Well, it's flip, flip-flop bingo at the moment, isn't it? When you're playing those teams with nothing to play for, they... Uh... Have they got their flip-flops on or are they playing for contracts? So, um, uh, Chris, you mentioned Sam Sharing playing. I hope he gets a goal because he was on loan there last season and he was uh, very popular at home. Mm. So, you know, that, that'd be funny. Would you take a Josh McCoy own goal, which knocks him out because the, the ball's hit so hard, it goes in off his face, knocks him out and goes into the back of the net? Can't thank my lucky stars. It'd be ironic that the most he ever does for us is when he's not being paid by us. The prick. <laughs> I, ne- I didn't, didn't know you had this much hate in you, Sam. I don't. I don't. He falls under the same category as Gary Hours. I I just hate the bloke. Crap player, crap attitude. And it made me very satisfied to see him go part-time at Weymouth. With his mate Brett Williams as well. <laughs> well, he'll be listening to this. So when he scores, he'll have a uh, lift up his shirt and there'll be a fuck off Drew <laughs> t-shirt on underneath probably. So. Um, okay, so that's Weymouth on Saturday and there'll be a podcast on Sunday or Monday, which will discuss uh, the outcome of that match. We move on to any other business and I'd like to wish uh, both uh, my co-presenters and all Talkie fans a very happy uh, Ben Winter Day, two-year hey. anniversary of Thank that you. great day. Uh, it's just it's hard to describe that day, to be honest, because I've seen Torquay get promoted at Southend, which should have been the best day supporting Torquay United. I've seen us get promoted at Wembley, which also should have been the greatest day I've ever had supporting Torquay United. Yet for some reason, a last-minute equaliser against Woking in the National League South is probably my favourite ever memory of supporting Torquay United. And I don't know why, but it was just that momentary feeling but it, when the ball hit the back of the net, I've never experienced anything quite like it. Completely agree. I, uh, I've i seen, obviously, all the clips going around on uh, Twitter today. Um, and it just kind of takes me back. So I was stood with you for that game, Ben. Um, yeah. And I still can't remember from the ball hitting the back of the net, really, until about a minute after the kickoff. It was just, it was a complete out-of-body experience. And like you say, that Seals goal at Wembley should be the best moment ever. Um, I don't know, maybe that it's a different type, but the times we survived under Nico, that, that second time against all the odds when we won three games on the spin when we should really have been down. You know, but that goal... It was an out-of-body experience and just that sheer 
release of wow we, we've done it you know there's they couldn't really catch us then um and the, you know the most unlikely of heroes I, I think as a football fan, you're very, very lucky if you ever get to experience something quite like that because it had all things come together at exactly the perfect moment, which is what made it so special. And I just remember grabbing whoever was... I think I, I had a very intense moment with your dad, I think. Just just grabbed him. I think started, you just, did. just Just yelling in his face, just you're pulling his hair, just, just absolutely going mental. Just, it's what you do, isn't it? You, do, you can't explain why you do it. And you can't explain to people who don't, follow football or even like football why it's the greatest feeling in the world for that that one minute or so if you could bottle that feeling and sell it you would be a multi multi-millionaire you would you would it, it, it you can't explain it can you that's the thing it is just one of those once in a lifetime moment it feels and like you say you are if you can experience something like that you are so lucky because that is every time you go to a game and you lose against Chippenham or you know every time things aren't going right you just think it's worth it it's worth it for the chance of just having them a moment like that and uh you know Ben, ben Winter will be forever if not a legend of a, yeah. a cult hero at Torquay because it's probably the most iconic goal in certainly in my lifetime at Torquay. It's a big shout to say it's more iconic than Tim Seals is but I do think you're right. I think we more people up at the time. More people will continue to talk about Ben Winter's goal in 20 years' time than, than they will Tim Sills's. I think. So, so Chris, we we were both at the match, and uh, obviously in, in the states you weren't. What, what, do you remember anything about that, that that goal, that moment? Did you? I was appreciate... listening to it on the radio, so you know it, it, it's. I will, I will preface this by saying that I've never been the kind of guy to run around like a lunatic and jump up and down when we score. I don't know whether I'm more reserved than you guys, but um, I did jump up and down and run around when we score. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hadn't done that since I was at South End in 2004. Um, I, I think despite being two divisions, you know, or, you know, two divisions lower than we were that day, um, I think the fact that it was against a team that we spent all season chasing. And then by that point, if I recall, we were in front of them, weren't we? So basically a draw na- nailed it for us. I think it, if we'd lost, it probably would have been okay. But, you know, it re- really was the final nail in Woking's coffin. It became a last-minute winner, in effect, because yeah. it, it, it turned their four-point lead into... Uh, uh, our four-point lead into a seven-point lead, yeah. lead in, 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 that, in that split second. With yeah, four games really to go, cool. yeah, and it was, you know, and uh, you know, one of the things that I've spoken about on this podcast before is is the feeling of being slightly divorced from the club, you know, slightly adrift, and it's those kind of experiences. Even though I'm not there, I feel I do share in them a little bit. Um, I think the radio is not as good as watching it on a stream, which is in turn not as what as good as watching it in person. Um, but you do kind of get that sense of communal joy that I've missed, certainly, you know, when I haven't been listening on the radio or watching via the stream. Um, I actually had another moment on uh, like yesterday when we scored the winner. Um, I jumped up and down and my cat ran off very upset and my mother-in-law came downstairs like, what on earth's wrong? Like, we scored a goal. And very hard to explain to people who don't who don't get it. I think as a football fan, you, you live for those moments. And then when you get one, 
you spend the rest of your life hoping to get another one. Absolutely. It's like heroin for football fans. I would imagine. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I should probably clarify that. Um, but it, it, and I think one of the joys of being a Talker United supporter is that we do have a fairly regular high. Like, we've never really done boring. It's either terrible or it's great. And, you know, that has some of its own stresses, but we don't have too many mid-table seasons. I think the last one was probably the only one I can remember. And that was a short season anyway, because it got called off halfway through. So if basically, if anyone's listening to this who isn't a Talking United supporter, you should follow this club for fun and hijinks and occasional misery and despair. Absolutely true. Um, and whenever uh, it's shared on Twitter, which is a lot, um, I always watch it, always watch it, oh, because yeah. it gets better every time I watch it. I was convinced it flew straight into the top corner, and it was only when I watched it back that I realised it took a massive deflection off, off a defender or, or move into the goal, but I couldn't care how it went in, really. Susan that bulged, that was it. It was just pandemonium and brilliant. I, th- I think one of the great bits about that goal is... Uh... It all stemmed from a free kick that <laughs> Ben Gehring conceded and then <laughs> subsequently getting sent off. And I I mean, I Twitter on the way out, I put some tweets up, just that kind of, again, she's not really aware of what I was doing. And I, but I saw that Gehring obviously did his, you know, very stock tweet of, I'd say full responsibility for that. We go on to the next one. Thanks for your support. And all of their fans just saying, you realise we, they were just waiting for the moment you did that. And it was, because uh, that was obviously one of the big things that season was the Gehring rivalry. And uh, yeah, that that kind of added to it a bit. But it, it capped off the perfect week. I remember at the start of that week saying, I think it was, I said it to Marcus in uh, in the pub. What's the, what's the pub called down the road? Um, Union? Union, that's right. I said to Marcus in the Union, I said, because we had Wildstone on the Saturday, Chelmsford on the Tuesday, and then Woking. So if we can get nine points, we've, we've won the title. Beat Wildstone 3-2, I think, who played brilliantly on the day, um, or 3-1 or whatever. Chelmsford, where Keating played probably the best individual performance I've ever seen in a Torquay show. It certainly felt like that on the night. And then that Woking day, just the whole day, capped off by that it's 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 one of those you, you can relive it in your head time and time again and it, you'll never get bored of it. it it's it's weird isn't it because we didn't actually win the title that day we won it the following saturday against eastbourne and no one ever mentions that match even though that's a game we, we we clinched it because really in our own minds we clinched it at woking well we, we were champions elect that day i think even um I think Max Kreshmar, because Wo- I'll just say Woking were outstanding that day. Ben, uh, Max Kreshmar and Armani Little and Greg Lua, their striker, uh, uh, three of the sort of best performances against Torquay I've seen in recent years. Woking were outstanding. They played some incredible football, which is unlike them, you know, because they're, they're very much kind of head it and kick it side now. But I've lost what I was going to say. Well, I'll, I'll jump in there and say that um, really they should have won six or seven one at, at one point, which, which makes the three all draw all the better, really, because yeah. we, were, we, we were we were dead and buried. We we were useless for eighty percent of that match, and it was only when uh, Jana pulled a, a goal back and then 
good old Gehring got himself sent off that, that we really thought we could, we could do it because before then we hadn't had a shot on goal at all. Um, and I always think, would Ben Winter have been free on the edge of the box to pin at home if Woking had all 11 players on the pitch? Probably not. Sorry, I know what I was going to say. We were champions-elect that day because um, Max Kreshmar tweeted after the game, absolutely gutted, talky, deserved champions, blah, blah, blah. I think they knew they had to get that win to give themselves that element of hope that we might slip up. Would we have done? Probably not, but that's not the point. Woking conceded the title that day and, you know, did that whole look. We go, we go for the playoffs now. They, it, it, on paper it wasn't, but the title was what you're right. The title was won that afternoon. So happy Ben Winter Day, everyone, and we look forward to saying about it again next year and the year after that. Uh, one more bit of news on any of the business, and it's very very exciting. Is Legends of the Buckle Night have got a very special guest, which was announced on Tuesday evening at seven o'clock. And it was the main man himself, Paul Buckle, is appearing on the Legends of the Buckle Era night. The band are back together. I am buzzing about this one. We've got a lot of the big, big names from that era. And it was always going to be a good event. But to get the man who kind of orchestrated it. And I said pre-recording, in my opinion, gave Torquay probably the most exciting and turbulent five years of our history arguably you know that man took us to a playoff semi a playoff final which we won another playoff final win two fa cup fourth rounds you know it's an iconic era and i can't wait to hear what, what stories he's got uh yeah so buckle will be joining tim seals wayne carlisle Alex Rowe, Martin Gritton, Kevin Nicholson and Lee Mansell. And they're all appearing uh, on behalf of the charity. So tickets, which cost £10, all goes to those charities. Uh, so it'd be a great night. Helen Chamberlain is hosting it. So they'll be all, everyone will be kept in order. Um, I should point out that the event is being recorded. So if you can't make 7pm on Friday night, don't worry, you'll get a link sent to you and you can watch it at your convenience. So if you can't make Friday, don't worry, but book it anyway because you don't want to miss out on this at all. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, it, it really will. I can't echo that enough. Um, no, I would echo that. I'm very much looking forward to it. I think I'll be one of the people who gets to watch it on uh, on the archived version because I won't be able to tune in live, but I think if you're if you call yourself a Talk United supporter, you you owe it to yourself to tune in. Uh, we've all all three of us have been part of the group which has tried to get this thing up up and running. And I personally would like to thank all the guests and our host, and especially our sponsors, MB Insolvency and Thatcher Cider, for their generous support of this event. And I implore, I just just implore as many people as possible, tell your friends, spread the word. We try to do all we can to get as many people to watch it as possible. Let's raise as much money for, for charity as possible. And let's all have a great time watching Kevin Nicholson and Lee Mansell just take a piss out of each other for an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, I've been speaking to Lee Mansell about it quite a lot recently and uh, the gloves are off. Not, not much more needs to be said, really. So that's Friday, seven o'clock. 
legends of Paul Buckle era, including the man himself, Paul Buckle. So please, please, please guess on that. I think that concludes tonight, unless anyone else got anything else to add? Uh, I think that's everything. Nope, that's it. Well, thank you very much, gents, for, uh, for what you've had to say tonight. And Talking Talky will be releasing episode 17 on Monday, where we will uh, look back at the Weymouth match on Saturday and look forward to that massive six-pointer against Sutton. So please do keep out a lookout for that. Right, thank you, boys, and we'll speak to you all soon. Cheers.